Morning, sleepy. Guess you want McDonald's for breakfast? Uh, how'd you know? You were sleep humming the McDonald's jingle. I don't know what you're talking about. You just did it. No, I didn't. So, McDonald's? I could use a McCafe latte. There's a McDonald's for every morning. Start your morning at McDonald's with a delicious sausage biscuit and savory hash browns for only $1.50. At participating McDonald's for a limited time cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. How do you not hear that? Blog Talk Radio. Right, our next speaker is Theodora Esteri. Um, she's come all the way across from Greece to be with us this afternoon, and she's a long-time co-worker of World Goodwill. Theodora is a doctor of special pedagogies and psychology, a volunteer activist in Amnesty International, and a school teacher with more than 20 years' experience. She says her work is inspired by the global trend of education for all, an educational movement under the auspices of UNESCO, striving to provide quality education for all children in the world with no provisions or distinctions. Through her work in policy-making, educational authorities, and her association with Amnesty, Theodora also has opportunities to work for the implementation of children's rights in the Greek education system. And supported these goals, she has co-published curricula, software, articles, and is lecturing in the in-service training school of public education at the University of Athens. Currently, she is working at the Center of Diagnosis, Assessment and Support of Pupils, cooperating with teachers, parents and children to implement new methods of instructional design in the mainstream educational system. During the last four years, she's been advising on educational projects for the Greek section of Amnesty International and has lately started to coordinate a network of educators, and facilitators for human rights education. So it'll be a great pleasure to hear what she has to say on the spirit of amnesty. Thanks, Edwin. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I think that uh, this psychological transformation that Simon explained us seems uh, difficult when we try to, to to do it alone, but when we try collectively to transform our emotions, I think it's really better, which is my comment today. I feel very privileged trying to find answers with you to such a challenging question like uh, what is the spirit of amnesty, but I'm afraid I have only questions to add up, to sum up to those questions that uh, Dominic put on the opening of this session. As a school teacher, I am used to approach the world of meaning through a plan of instructive relations, which usually form triangles. So let me analyze the mandate of Amnesty International as an instructional triangle. to see what the attitudes, values, and purposes are. Campaigning 
for the implementation of the full spectrum of human rights against violence, violations, and abuses of all forms, acting for the women, students, and other vulnerable groups' rights, calling for the abolishment of death penalty and tortures, campaigning for the elimination of any form of discrimination, urging authorities to give amnesty to prisoners of conscience, those who are in custody because they just express their opinion, beliefs, or thoughts publicly, we, the human rights activists, and ordinary people from all walks of life, are testing our ability to forget personal differences and culture-biased interests and stand steadily focused on the point of human rights. We learn to evaluate progress through impersonal and impartial tools. We learn to bypass our prejudgments about the current situations. And mostly, we learn to work out detachment from mindsets that recycle instead of solving problems. The ability of detachment is of important meaning if we are to be successful to our goals. Another word of detachment is forgetfulness. Amnesty is a Greek word meaning forgetfulness and pardon. According to the ancient Greek political philosophy, democracy is a living procedure of negotiations, very well dramatized in ancient theater where the Citizens' Council holds the responsibility to disobey irrational law enforcement and the governor holds the responsibility to pardon this attitude and restore justice according to the common sense of ethics of moral matters. This very responsibility is declared in the last articles of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights and is performed by several NGOs, Amnesty International included. The ultimate ideal goal at the international level of community is to collectively renounce and eventually forget the old forms of imposed governance. In order to achieve this vision, we ordinary people from every part of the planet have to collectively cultivate the ability to perform as a global council of brotherhood, let's say, on the moral issues implicated by the human rights. Human rights are principles, unlighted and abstract principles. We perceive them from our narrow personal a religious, national, or cultural perspective, and then we try to apply them in the diverse international relationships. This produces illusions and eventually criticism about their effectiveness, not to mention criticism of the alleged racial, political, religious, even economical priorities. So it is important to restore the balance between the idea of humanitarian application and the proposed solution of a problem, like terrorism, for example. It is important that a steadily alert society is tuning solutions to the key tone of human rights. This is our job, don't you agree? 
Amnesty International and similar NGOs strive, I believe, to facilitate this new attitude of citizenship. When Benenson, the founder in mid-60s, wrote an article in the newspapers calling Salazar's government to give pardon to four poets in custody because they toasted for liberty in a tavern, many people joined him, declaring explicitly that no totalitarian regime is welcomed in Europe anymore. His article, Forgotten Prisoners, urged people not to condemn prisoners of consciousness in the darkness of their prison, not to be forgotten by the public indifference or ignorance. At the same time, Benenson urged post-war European governments to stop to refer to political opponents as the reason of their reluctant attitude towards democracy. Thanks to a fast-growing movement over the last 40 years, the European public opinion is about not only to forget the atrocities of war and the culture of the Cold War, but also to celebrate the fall of the Iron Curtain as brothers, despite painful memories. At this critical period of economical crisis, we, the European brothers, have to remember that behind figures and, and, and numbers of development are people, and we ought not to refer to refugees and immigrants as the reason of our financial problems, reversing the reality that the global economic system produces poverty. In democratic societies based on an inclusive multivalent culture, citizens hold the responsibility to protect human dignity, to express healthy thoughts, and to participate in the responsibility of global governance. Freedoms of expression, social participation, and equal access to dignity are attributes of the one human soul. When somewhere in the world are banned, our overall progress is seriously handicapped. Although the decision for restoring global justice and international partnership has been made 60 years before, we still see that human rights are the most well-known secret in the world. Human rights are the fourth R of our basic culture, not yet fully acknowledged. There are many reasons to usually feel disappointed and frustrated about our common future. This is the very moment that we need the courage to stand up again for the human rights of one more unknown fellow man, reacting to the undergoing feelings. This is the right time to light up one more candle in the darkness of our despair. Because every time we join a campaign for the bettering of the human situation, every time we try to find solutions together with organized societies institutions, every time we sign an appeal for justice and human rights, we declare our trust on humanity's ability to achieve the United Nations decisions. By steadily reporting the international situation of human rights, Amnesty International don't intend to heighten disappointment and tension. 
On the contrary, we challenge people's propensity to ignore the obvious when frustration, preservations and ambiguity are on the scene. The obvious is that human beings stand above every idealism and behind every plan of development. That behind bars, borders, limits, there is a man, a woman or a child in the search of his human dignity. Since dignity is the one humanity soul quality, we have to move on altogether, no one left behind. By signing appeals for several cases of violations, we ordinary people unite our little wills and ignite the sometimes forgotten decision of United Nations for international rehabilitation. Well, is the amnesty spirit is unveiled? I think we have to ponder on global purposes if we are to tackle the spirit. So let me spin my triangle using more uplifting examples from the global progress. As the keynote of our seminar says, if we study human history intelligently, we will see that there has steadily been a regular and rhythmic progression towards unity and synthesis in all departments of human affairs. And indeed, within the last 60 years, compared with the overall human history, there is a fast progress on the grounds of international relationships. Not to be perceived as naive, mind that social progress is not a linear progress. New human rights violations came up, some of, them, some of them originating from deeper layers of consciousness, like the unexpected juvenile uh, violence, some other being the products of extending and globalized ignorance of the value of life, like the food crisis. If we look closer, we will see that civil rights movement has cleared up our vision and has resulted in a better understanding on human dignity, which is now producing a vertical causality. Progressing as thinking species to higher levels of consciousness, we simply can't show indifference to the fact that more than the half of humanity is starving. We simply can't accept as logic option that there are poor and rich nations, that there are human beings that had not a shelter to be protected. We know that poverty is the product of systematic violations of human rights. We also know that the fear of need dehumanizes people, not only because it presses down the other freedoms, but also because it is against human dignity, and thus an attack to the evolution of human soul. So, as an alert response, a new decision came up in the world community, the elimination of poverty, at least its most cruel forms, like homeless, slums, no access to water, and basic health services. And also the need to reverse the mindset of philanthropy, which doesn't question our consumerist lifestyle and our nation's greedy attitudes on global 
resources. In order to meet the real needs, each NGO, each person, and mostly each community of poor people, those who are perceived as the rich on the earth, has to add a quota of usefulness and knowledge to this movement. The international civil community has to learn new forms of cooperation. Fuzzy words are describing this new movement, like synergetics, open partnerships, nebular structures, local fractures of global work, waves and nets. In everyday reality, we are grouping in global networks. We learn to perform the ability to submerge methods, values, and goals into the global movement against poverty. Corporations also merge in order to sum up progress. We learn to apply the idea of human dignity in valuable and meaningful forms for all without exceptions. We learn from others fields of methods, from artists, from scientists. Let me make a little comment here. Right after the World War, the work to be done needed organized perspiration. After the mid-80s, I think, where idealistic enthusiasm was withdrawing from social scene, the work needed aspiration. And now that a vertical, not yet seen and predicted, predicted effectiveness is the point, we will need inspiration. Don't you agree? So we have to find ways to empower community per se. We have to learn to ignore divisions and the memories that feed them. We will need to build capacities independently from our idealistic bounds or other old-fashioned determinisms. We will eventually deeper understand the attitude of detachment and forgetfulness. Such an attitude of submerging interests and relinquishing gains is also expected to be performed by our state representatives, members of European Union, when discussing the final decision about the first European constitution, and also in the Copenhagen uh, discussion. Yesterday I took the chance to, for a museum visiting. At the Alightman Gallery, British Museum, one could explicitly understand that the activity of classification was fundamental for our civilization, our scientific constructions, our national identities, our knowledge, motions, also jobs and feelings, are products of well-classified perceptions of the world. But now, in the shift of the paradigm, in the shift of our culture, we will need to declassify our knowledge, even the world. We already experienced this shift when we designed an educational system for all. We also perform ecosystemic research methods. 
or postmodern art styles. But we have a long way to go on in order to express the freedom and the will to get free from classifications in the field of civil and social identities. So a lot of work has to be done. No one should rest inert. Synthesis will be the output from all this movement, which means to me that all values and qualities that we have well trained in our diverse nations, organizations, uh, local societies, will now stream forth into societies and be expressed by them. The common life of humanity will hopefully be detached from the need because cultivating such a uh, global group consciousness means eventually that resources will be accessible for all. Let's now stand on the top of the hill of our vision where by the UN Charter we may look on the global situation. The leading idea for the progress is the achievement of four freedoms. We as a panel have a lot of talk about the three freedoms. The fourth one, the freedom from fear, which is deeply inherent in our economic, religious and civil systems and also inherent to our existence, was like the phantom of the opera there, between the words. As for the progress towards the three freedoms, fear is a state of mind preventing us to decide and promote unification within a fair time. Fear underlies our way of living because our consciousness still produces separative thought forms and eventually recycles the conflict situations. And the conflict produces fear of surviving, poverty, division, and deeper fear. A UN goal towards the freedom from fear is the international disarmament. And as for the educational and preparatory part, the ability of non-violent conflict resolutions. As I understand, the artist here shows us the presence that stands for the freedom from fear, holding two crossed swords, as you see, which are weapons. Don't they? Of course, there is a symbolic meaning. I hope the right sword is uh, that of wisdom, while the left one is compassion, because as I understand, wisdom and compassion provide us the cutting edge decisions on human relations. The posture shows us also the power to denounce the anguish of death. It stands also for the decision not to get defeated by bounds and obstacles that prevent the soul from expressing itself in the real everyday, everyday life. Or not to be overwhelmed by the loads of work to be done. Dear friends, respected co-workers, I think that the ability to keep Progressing towards unity is dependent on our decision to collectively invalidate some memories and ideas and on our personal inspired and joyful decision to negate some forms of consciousness that construct the walls and borderlines we choose to live in. 
The ancient international political history gives us a slight idea that November is a good month for denouncing obstacles and breaking walls. So it is a good idea, I think, this very moment at the lower spiritual interlude of the year dedicated to the international reconciliation to ponder on this synthetic movement about the psychological and international rehabilitation. Thoughts on such a movement, on conscientious liberation from fear, ominously coupled with international seas of aggression, it is so that we also invoke the spirit of amnesty. Thank you. Lots of uh, ground covered there. Anybody, any questions or comments? Yes, gentlemen over there. Thank you very much for, um, which I think, you know, required a lot of concentration, but you actually gave us a lot of the um, value of your research there. I guess for me, what stands out very clearly and is really the keynote of today, is about um, igniting the will to good and the real central purpose of meditation because to resolve many of the things I think that you've placed before us, um, particularly this horizontal alignment across the world, across groups, across the um, different uh, aspects of you know, decision makers and governance, with this vertical alignment with the Logos, this is so important for us because unless we are actually keeping that vertical alignment with the source of the will, then I think we, we, we will not be attuned. I just leave for those who amongst you are astrologers and have that insight that we are in a period of Pluto in Capricorn, which is going to see a lot of vast and rapid changes. So I think the question of the paradigm shift and the way in which we can engage some of your thoughts, particularly around forgiveness and reconciliation, is crucial. My particular understanding of forgiveness in the wider context is that if, unless we engage in forgiveness, we cannot do our own creative work in the context of love and goodwill uh, unless we do so, because by forgiving, we actually do something to undo the negative karmic consequences that we maintain by not forgiving. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. More of a comment. Thank you very much indeed. Um, I like the way you used the triangle because a lot of people here are involved in triangles and it will certainly add a dimension to our process each day. Um, the thing I want to ask you is as you are dealing with pedagogy and uh, learning disabilities um, I would like to turn that round as you have said change of attitude I don't think there's any learning disability I think there's a teaching inadequacy that we currently have because if you had someone who's unable to learn in a normal way you seek the way they will absorb to their capacity and that's where we're getting it wrong at the moment we are not looking at the capacity of the people we're fighting we're trying to change them 
to what we think they should be. And it is definitely, you're quite right, it's the attitude that has got to change. And that's where your freedoms come in. The freedom to learn in the way that is appropriate to you. The freedom to change at the time that you're ready for change. And not to inflict, which is what our society has been doing. I'd love your comments on that. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to comment on what you No. No. Uh, I agree. It's, um, yes, and thank you for your comments. I don't have any, any comments anymore. I have a lot. Any other questions or comments? Thank you. Um, you speak of forgetting as part of the process, but we have parts of the world that deny um, things as the Holocaust. So forgetting can be dangerous sometimes, can't it? Yes, I think that uh, living memories is a part of our national identity. So, if we want to go forward to international unity, we have to, to forget some things. And forgetfulness is coming through justice, through the, the reconciliation of justice. That's all. Any other comments? No, it just suddenly occurred to me, how can you reconcile something that you don't actually acknowledge? if people don't acknowledge the Holocaust, um, surely by acknowledging something you can forgive it because you have all the, the facts there. If you don't have facts, you know, if you're, if you're in denial, you can't, you can't forgive. You know, just something occurred to me. Yes. Um, do you understand? <laughs> I, yes, I don't know if I'm expressing okay. myself. That's why we, we have to get informed. We have to, to learn, relearn history, the history of all the world. The, and the other side's history also, and to know, to better know the situation, the faults. That's right, not, not to deny, you mean. And then choose what to keep in your memory in order to go forward. So you, you, do you agree that um, those who deny the Holocaust would have to accept it before they can... We have to accept it, yes. We have to accept the reality. The reality. If, if we are to forget. Thank That's you. right. Thank you for your talk. And um, what's, what's, um, what it touched for me was uh, thinking about Remembrance Day that happened uh, this week. And um, it was my birthday the, the day after Remembrance Day. Um, it's always been my birthday the day after <laughs> Remembrance Day. But somehow I'd never really let that sink in, what that what that actually might mean. Um, and this year I watched the ceremony on the TV, the Cenotaph, and they talked about um, the, shot, the Shot at Dawn group. And I'd never heard of this before, but um, it was shocking to realize that there were people who'd been shot at dawn because they'd deserted in the, in the, in the war. Um, these were off, these were sometimes boys of, who'd signed up when they were 16, and they couldn't cope with the horrors of war, and they deserted. So, to me, it felt like an extremely healing thing that for the, that these people were were being somehow acknowledged. 
um, and I realized what a, actually what a healing event Remembrance Day c could be. And it brought to me my own memories or memories of my father telling me of an uncle who was away in the war and committed suicide, never came back. Um, and I cried for the first time in my life. So I'm sure that there is some opening in compassion. And, and that's uh, such a doorway to healing. And that perhaps that's what Remembrance Day is really. Mm -hmm. offers. Thank you. Um, we'll take one more, then I think we should stop just the next few things. I hope that the lady who's just spoke won't be offended, uh, but this thing about forgetting I think is very, very important because I think, I have to be very careful what I say here because obviously some people have been in the services or their families are, so please don't be offended by what I say. But one of the things that, because we're talking now about forgetting and remembering, about Remembrance Day, either the official day or the ceremony on Sunday, which of course is very, very powerful indeed, but it's constantly going backwards. It's saying, you know, look at all these brave men that died, etc., 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 either in current um, disputes and wars or in the past. Now, I'm not denying people's bravery or what they sacrificed because I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for somebody else's sacrifice. But I do feel in that context, you can't move on until you do forget. Because if every year, and I, please don't, I'm not wishing to be offensive at all, if we had a day for peace, where we pledged ourselves for peace, how can we find different ways of resolving the, the terrible disputes and wars currently in the world, much less past ones, we would actually then be honouring these people who laid down their lives and were terribly injured and the terrible effect it had on their families. And again with the Holocaust, now uh, my mother's family were Jewish, so I hope I can say this again without offending anybody. Of course it was the most terrible, ghastly thing beyond imagination and I don't know how people survived it. But it can sometimes be used as well so that people don't... People it can be used by some people then politically so that they don't move on vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the problems with Israel and the Palestinians. And I think it's very important to understand that, that yes, we can acknowledge these terrible things that your parents went through, but we're dealing with now, and if we keep on and on about the past, we keep on rec recreating wars and the Holocaust, instead of looking at what we're doing now. We, in some ways, have Holocaust now. Look at Darfur, which is absolutely dreadful. I mean, it's just one dreadful place in the world, and nobody does anything. People keep talking about doing something, but nothing seems to change. So I think there is something, yes, let's remember in our hearts, but let's move on and say, yes, this was a terrible, terrible thing. I've had terrible things in my life, nothing like the Holocaust, obviously, but I've had to learn to move on and forgive. Otherwise, you, you, you're just mired in hate and bitterness, and it colours everything. So I, I think this forgetting is very important, uh, it, you know, but in proportion. So I hope people will forgive me if they feel I've been offensive, because it wasn't meant at all. I'm saying this with love and respect for everybody in this room and for people who died in the war, and incidentally, all the civilians that have been killed in all these wars. Thank you. Uh, we have to say, though, that forgetfulness is a goal for the future. 
we don't we don't want our children to remember war atrocities. This is what we have we we all agree. We all agree. Isn't it? Maybe it's a question of when you again it's your state of consciousness and how ready you are. And some nations are and some aren't and yeah, you know, it right. is a process, isn't it? Of, it of is a process, a process through justice, through international justice, and knowledge. Yes, it is. Well, thank you, Theodora. I'm sorry, thank we're going you. to have to um, bring us to a, a close now. Well, we've built a, a strong thought form about the subject of the will for good today, and it's inspiring to think how each of us can really make a difference if we simply have belief in the power of this divine force for good. And through the power of thought and imagination, we can help to create a new climate and consciousness. And as we know, this is where change of any real significance has to begin. Change consciousness and right action will follow. And currently, as we've all discussed today, we see egotism and pride and fear barring the way to the will to good. But in the long run, its spiritual force will overcome these abstractions and destroy the forms and the structures and the selfish thoughts which refuse to be healed or cannot be expanded or made whole. And without any doubt, the tide of goodwill is steadily moving to the forefront of human consciousness. This is made possible by those who wield its more dynamic counterpart, the will to good. This driving force can only safely and effectively manifest itself in an atmosphere of love, for without love the will can be a devastating power. But where there is love, it can serve to bring about unification. Example of this unifying power we've just been talking about is forgiveness. And while we associate the qualities of love and healing with forgiveness, the will is one of its essential aspects. Looking at the word forgive itself and turning it around, we have to, for, to give for. It's the power to rise above one's own suffering and to give for the greater good. But beyond even such sacrificial demonstrations as these, they are those whose whole lives are dedicated to unconditional forgiveness. This is the most powerful thing a human being can do, and it was demonstrated by the Christ, not my will, but thine be done. Few there are who can say this with true conviction and make such an all-encompassing sacrifice, but those who can are true masters of compassion. And the stakes are high in today's world. Humanity is walking a tightrope between disaster and transition into a new enlightened era. Now is therefore the time for those who understand the power of the will to good to take on the responsibility that ever accompanies that recognition and join the ranks of those who serve and who stand with these masters of compassion. To do this is to give unconditionally and to allow the one life to lift and unify all who serve, be it on the world stage, in the blaze of publicity, 
or behind the scenes, living seemingly unremarkable lives, are under the impression of these great lives, and serve as conduits for the will to good to flow into human consciousness and transform the world. The array of crises we face seems insurmountable and questioning our own assumptions is challenging and uncomfortable hard work. However, strengthened by our interconnected consciousness, we are empowered to act with courage and wisdom, knowing that anything can be overcome when there is a will to do so. It's not a struggle against anyone, nor against any nation or religion, but it is a battle for greater freedom of vision and expression of the greatness within. This manifestation of the will isn't passive, as we have seen, but calls us to draw upon our highest aspects. So we come back to the fact that this time of decision entails our difficult transition from personal or national thinking to holistic thinking, shifting from individual to group consciousness. This is summed up so well by Hans Klug when he said, we have to realize that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings who are having a human experience. And this shift in identification has huge implications. We have to see ourselves as part of and contributing to a much larger grouping, humanity. And this opens up our lives to share, to share qualities, attributes and thinking, to see our place as a middle mediating kingdom. We take inspiration and direction from above and we have responsibility to those kingdoms that lie below. And in this way we meditate with the energy of goodwill, a dynamic process. Here the heart is aflame with love, not meek, but boldly transmitting the fire that burns away all blockages between us and the realization of good. It overrides contentment and despair. Its flame consumes transient happiness and sorrow and transmutes them into a quiet, steady state of joy. The past and the future give way to a new consciousness in what the Buddhists call the eternal now. In short, this is simply the state of being present to be alive in a world of abundant energy as a director and server in the divine transcendent plan of God. So, thanking you all for coming along today. We're going to close now and go into meditation using our meditation, strengthening the hands of the new group of world servers. Thank you. Morning, Sleepy. Guess you want McDonald's for breakfast? Uh, how'd you know? You're sleep humming the McDonald's jingle. I don't know what you're talking about. You just did it. No, I didn't. So, McDonald's? I could use a McCafe latte. There's a McDonald's for every morning. Start your morning at McDonald's with a delicious sausage biscuit and savory hash browns for only $1.50. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. How do you not hear that?
Morning, sleepy. Guess you want McDonald's for breakfast? Uh, how'd you know? You were sleep humming the McDonald's jingle. I don't know what you're talking about. You just did it. No, I didn't. So, McDonald's? I could use a McCafe latte. There's a McDonald's for every morning. Start your morning at McDonald's with a delicious sausage biscuit and savory hash browns for only $1.50. At participating McDonald's for a limited time. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. How do you not hear that?